This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. everybody to another episode of the do not listen to this podcast conversation series my name is or my name is sam lacrosse i am your host can you dig it i can welcome back again to another very very special episode of my favorite topic on this podcast where it's not just me babbling on like a deranged crazy person for an hour and i get to actually be joined by somebody in the first time and today i'm joined by a very very special person in my life, a special friend of mine, a guy who we were talking actually before this podcast, it's very funny, I'll have him introduce himself in a minute, but a guy who I've known for a vast majority of my life, I am 24, and um, Alex, are you, you're 23, right? Yep, 23. Okay, so it's like we've known each other for probably close to 20 years at this point, obviously you can know his, now, his name is now Alex, if you are reading the title of this podcast, his name is Alex Rutman, and so his name is Alex Rutman, we have kind of a unique relationship, our family structure is the way we grew up, is very, very kind of just similar in a lot of ways. It's different, obviously, in many ways as well with kind of how we were brought up and things, but um, very, very similar. We were kind of intertwined in a very unique way, and I'll kind of hand it over to uh, Alex to kind of just give himself a quick little spiel and intro, and we'll uh, we'll kind of get going. Sounds good. Thanks, Sam. Well, first and foremost, you know, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited sure. to uh, talk about the topic that we're going to um, discuss today, which is our, I guess, our family dynamic and um you know, just how families work in general. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Alex Rutman. Uh, I'm 23. Um, Sam and I grew up in the same hometown. Um, Sam graduated um, a year before me. Um, so I graduated uh, high school in 2017. I then attended Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, um, and graduated in May in 2021 with a degree in political science pre-law. I also have a minor in history and a certificate in diversity studies. Um, after my graduation, um, a few months after that, I started working for the uh, Cleveland Guardians, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, um, yep. and I am a uh, season ticket service representative. So essentially, think of like a concierge, um, that kind of duties. Um, that's kind of like my role on the day-to-day -day basis with uh, folks um, who have season tickets um, with the Guardians. I mostly um, work with quarter seasons, but there are you know half seasons and full seasons as well. Um, the background to how Sam and I know each other, again, our families are really close and um, you know, again, we were talking before this, we've known each other for almost 20 years thinking about it, is that, um, so my twin brother, Luke, um, has autism, and he knows Sam's sister, Jackie, and I believe they went to preschool together, and I was, I was going to say, man, I as, think long, like, as long as then, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it's just, it was interesting, because I'm thinking, I was thinking, because I was home last week, because um, the book came out last week, I kind of did, you know, a little late, you know, I went home and saw my family and saw some close friends and everything, 
And I was thinking about it because I was hanging out with my sister and I was kind of thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, doing some weird nostalgic, like reminiscing or whatever. And it was, you know, I think like she was at least, I don't know if this is your brother's case, but I think your brother was my sister's first, that I can remember, first like friend that she ever made, like going into school. I, I don't know if that was, that's your remembrance of the situation too, but like the first person that, and the most consistent person probably throughout her time in school and her time kind of in, you know, our hometown where we grew up was your brother, which is very, very interesting to me. Yeah, I, I can, I agree with that a hundred percent because yeah. again, as long as I've known your family, like it's right. That's how long I think my brother and uh, your sister have, have known each other. It's that same uh-huh same same length of time and your your family was very involved with like the community too like your mom was your mom i believe still is or maybe just retired like a, a bus driver in the community so she like kind of knew she know you she knew all the kids kind of or at least the ones that she interacted with on a really really intimate level both through your brother and kind of knowing them and watching a lot of them probably grow up right in front of her for a very very long period of time i would think yeah so she retired um in july of 2021 so okay yeah she was a school bus driver for 15 years i believe Mm -hmm. um and then uh yes i mean she i know she she loved her job i know that she really liked working especially it worked out really well when luke and i were in school essentially like the hours were um you know were good because she wasn't working like long nights you know she had like in the middle of the day just you know in the case something happened to me um or luke Um, so it was a yeah pretty good schedule, you know, working with um, children, especially you know our, you know our you know our classmates that sort of like, thing. Yeah, help just help to get meet kids in the neighborhood, and it, you know it does have like a, I guess a service job aspect to it because it you know school bus drivers are an essential service. A lot yeah. of people, yeah, about, it is like it is a part of your school day because the first mm-hmm. person you see when you're involved with the school is the school bus driver, and then the last part yeah. of the day is the school bus driver for the vast majority yeah. of. Um, you know, young children up to middle school because our district um, does not have um, busing for high school kids um, unless mm-hmm. uh, there's special arrangements and that sort of thing. So yeah, like if if they're you know, and, and our siblings are are fortunate in the degree where they're not, I would say, severely physically handicapped, or they do not need to be in right. like a really severe like mobility bus, or they need to be like put on and help with an aid and everything else. Like we're our, you know, our uh, siblings' disabilities fall into more of a cognitive fashion where it's like mm-hmm. they can still, they're not really physically, and even though they're not probably physically where they could be in terms of their potential if they were not disabled, but they're kind of just in that sense where they can still interact, you know, in a physical manner. Yes. Almost like very, very fine, like most people. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, the matter with, you know, it was just kind of, that was kind of the situation we had growing up. And so where you kind of alluded to this earlier, and I, I wanted to start with, are you older or younger than Luke? I got Luke by 18 minutes. So 18, of, okay, okay, good. So yeah, for folks who don't know, Luke and I are twins. Um, so yep, I am. I, I was born at 12:35 in the morning, and he was born at 12:53 in the morning. So yep, 18, 18 minutes. I got Luke by, which is you took, took your mom away from school school bus driver hours after the, after the uh, <laughs> like that. Would be, uh, well, uh, at yeah. the time, well, at the time she was working for the post office. So you know that's oh, a cool. 24 hour uh, 365 business. So yeah. Yeah, not out of her, not above her pay grade in that regard. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so it, it's interesting because you know we're already kind of in, um, you know, in a minority in the terms of the fact that we're kind of you know not a lot of people have you know siblings with cognitive disabilities or families that have a lot of this stuff. We're kind of kind of a rare breed in that sense. But you're in like an especially rare category because like you have literally a person that you almost quite literally share a brain with in a sense. That you guys are kind of really, really, I would say, not conjoined physically, obviously, but you're conjoined in terms of like you guys have been linked literally since you stepped out of your mother together. It's at basically <laughs> at a certain point. 
So mm -hmm. it's already a unique connection. And so where I want to start in kind of everything else is like, when did you start to become like conscious of the fact that either your family dynamic was different or that, you know, the way your brother interacted with people is different than maybe you interacted with people. And what was like the process of that for you growing up in terms of like just assimilating to the rest of the outside world who might not know what really is going on, especially when you're young and kids really don't know much to begin with anyways. Yeah, that's a really good question that you asked there, Sam. So I don't think my parents ever like said to me or like sat me down and explained to me like how Luke's prognosis of autism is. Mm -hmm. I think kind of like I can't I can't think of a time. Maybe there was, maybe I was maybe it did happen and I was too young to remember. But I've kind of always known that um Luke and I I always say, like, my mom always says, like, you two aren't on the same level. So I think I've always yeah. known that. As long as I can remember, Luke and I are on the same level. I think where it started is because we both went to different preschools. You know, I went to um, Laura's Learning Treehouse, which is a local um, preschool in our hometown, while, you know, my brother and your sister went to, it was called Great Expectations. And that, oh, that's right. I Yes, I remember. And that, that preschool right. was dedicated to, uh, you know, with children with, um, you yes. know, disabilities and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I think maybe that's where I started to realize it. And another thing too, a lot of people don't um, know. So Luke and I, even though we're the same age and we're twins, um, he was a grade behind me because he went to an extra year of preschool. So when yep. I went to kindergarten, he did another year of preschool. And then when I went to first grade, he went to kindergarten. So when we were growing up, um, a lot of people didn't realize that Luke and I were twins just from the sole fact that we were in different grades. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, if you don't, know me or know Luke individually, you know, how would you know? Because like, how rare of an instance is it like, obviously, you know, seeing twins with autism is kind of a rare thing in itself, but with yep. one having it and one not, that's like one in a million. So I don't consider myself, I never, like, I don't consider myself lucky from that um, because I think that's kind of a selfish notion of looking at life because I think, mm -hmm. um, Luke's autism is not what makes Luke Luke. Luke is who he is. He just happens to be an individual with autism. So right. I don't be able to get that like construed that um like I think I'm like above him in any way. No, like yeah, well, of course not. Him and I are like on a different level, but no, we treat each other equally. So um yeah, essentially from that, um, I think I've always known. Um, I think as a child, I had a lot of struggles. Um with anxiety and that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just the kid I was. I don't know if Luke played part of it because he used to beat the shit out of me. <laughs> um, like, oh, did he really? Yeah, oh my God. He, like, he probably still could kick my ass. I have no doubt in that in my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, he, threw me, he threw me down the stairs one time. Holy shit, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm like, we were like two or three, but yeah, I remember. Oh, it. man. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> like, I bet, oh, yeah, dude, that, that fucking kills you, especially when you're yeah. that young. Like, holy shit. Yeah. And this was before he was verbal, too, because Luke didn't speak until he was five, right. I believe. Right. Um, so, obviously, children with autism, especially, or even those um, who are nonverbal, not having that ability to speak creates a lot of, you know, anger and tension inside of them because yeah, they can't explain how they feel. And it's yeah. not, I don't, it's not because they have anger issues. It's because they can't clearly explain how they feel. And I, and, you know, you think about it, if I couldn't talk, yeah, I'd be probably pissed off too. So mm -hmm. 
did something to, to make him mad. But yeah, and, and especially like when you're on that level, like everything is emotion in that sense. Oh, because that's yes. really the only way you can express yourself is by either acting out a certain way or kind of, you know, kind of enforcing and that kind of stuff, which is which is really interesting because and um I also want to just a quick aside, do you know what the statistics are about autistic twins? I'm a stats nerd. So I like you know like what like how rare it actually is. Like do you know the firm number or no? I don't. I okay. don't that that man, I, I kind of wish I looked that up before. No, we well, had, and I was I was gonna I say like, I'm gonna know that number two. Years. That's yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not I'm not Rogan I don't have like a Jamie yet so I'm not like, I'm not like a Rogan having like pull, pull some up like that but you're right because you know I I know that you know especially you know in our community growing up when we go to Special Olympics or do that kind of thing there were always either you know siblings or twins in your case where you know they had either um collectively they had Down syndrome or they had autism or they had cerebral palsy or something like that where they would kind of be they have the similar affliction but it's like you kind of dodged a bullet in that sense and then Luke took one and so you guys were just different from the sense and kind of how your mental state came together which is very very interesting because I come to think of it I actually don't know really two people that were that close in age I mean me and my sister are only 14 and a half months apart but literally literal twins that kind of one came out non-autistic and the other came out autistic so that's that's got to be incredibly incredibly high odds I would think mm -hmm. yeah because I can't think of anyone else that I know yeah um, neither can I I, I don't think I've met someone. Um, I mean, they're out there hundred percent, but I can't think sure. of someone that I know that um, who wears a set of twins and one has autism and one doesn't, or mm -hmm. one some sort of other cognitive disability and the other one doesn't. It's so mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's a, it's a rarity. And that's just, just the way the world, the, the world spins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really, really kind of wild. And I, I think the, uh, the other thing about it is kind of like, you know, when you did kind of become, and I can kind of give an example of this too. It's like, I remember, you know, cause my parents really never explicitly told me either. She, or actually, I shouldn't say that because they did. They just said, Jackie has autism. And they took it kind of as very matter of factly in sense. She just like has this thing. And so I was like, okay, she has this thing. And I think, you know, going out and, you know, kind of, I think going on really early, I would say play dates, like people that, you know, people that I know, everything like that. And kind of seeing like their home life. And I remember, you know, I had neighbors like around uh, diagonal for me and like right next to me that were, one was an only child, but the other had siblings. And so when I would go over and do like, I don't know, sleepovers or stuff or whatever. And I would like be, this is, this is like kind of weird. Like, this is like really kind of interesting. There's no one like kind of, you know, screaming in the corner or kind of doing whatever, like pushing you down the stairs, like whatever this is, it's called, it's very, um, it's interesting. I, I feel this way with both people, you know, my family that has obviously a heightened level, I would say of, to your point about the anxiety and the stress, they have that kind of, you know, certain heightened sense of that, but, you know, also people who are really, you know, that just work themselves up like crazy. And there's a, a there's kind of a temperature in the room that goes up whenever you kind of go into one of those situations. And when I walked into a house and that was just kind of really decompressed because that just wasn't there, it was, it was weird. Like, I don't know if we had the same reaction for you. It was kind of just like, it was kind of alarming in a sense. It was like, Oh, maybe I, I like, is something like wrong with me? Is there some kind of like sensor inside of me that's like not working because I just didn't really know how to comprehend, you know? Yeah, no, I so, so glad somebody understands like when you go yep. to somebody else's house and that dynamic is different because I can't explain it to someone what it was like growing up with an autistic brother, especially mm -hmm. because I, I just like you had to experience it. I can yeah. think 
going to right i think i can think of going to folks houses for sleepovers you know one of your uh former guests and one of my childhood friends too nick renette um, yeah you know, yeah my first friends uh, here in avon and i remember you know going to his house over for sleepovers and that sort of stuff and it was different because you know he has his brother and his sister but yep. again different dynamic compared yep. to and my brother, um, you know, a lot different atmosphere. So I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because mm-hmm. people don't understand just from the sole fact that they just haven't experienced it. Now, granted, I had sleepovers at my house too. So right. I, do wonder, I don't think my friends had that same sense because they just knew like Luke was my brother. But I think that kind of like insecurity, um, people who have siblings with disabilities sometimes having like, kind of like a social awkwardness or just like a social unsurety, I think is a better way to explain it, can kind of like relax you in a sense where it's like, okay, like I can like just like, again, decompress and be myself. But Mm -hmm. then, and especially if you're a young person, it can heighten you up. It's like, "Mm, what if something happens? Like what if this like, what if like little Jimmy just like flips a table and starts like screaming or something? Because that's what what I'm used to. Or like you got... Mm -hmm. My brother wasn't really like violent or anything like that as he got, you know, older and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, he kind of just grew out. I have someone, later. yeah, I don't have someone asking me five times a day, hey, what time are you going to take your shower? Like, yeah, right. Same, same difference. Yeah, different than that. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with the socialization aspect of it too, like, I think the one thing that's still really, um, and, you know, this is kind of everything else, it was, it was very interesting because my sister, she used to, um, I didn't really see it as this, you know, when it back, back in the day, but, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't know if this is just a disability thing in general, or if this is just because uh, my sister is autistic as well. I should probably tell people about that, but it's, um, you know, so with, if it's just with autistic kids or if it's with, you know, people with uh, disabilities in general, but my sister used to be, you know, violent in a lot, in a lot of ways early on. And I think it's just kind of a, a run of the mill when it comes to the, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of these, a lot of these folks. And I think that I didn't see it as you know, this in at the time, but, you know, she used to kind of self-harm. She used to pinch herself, bite herself, you know, kind of, you know, I, she still has, if you look at her hands, you kind of hold her hand or whatever. She still has like scars and stuff, like all up her fingers and, you know, down her palms and on her wrists and stuff or you know, either just kind of ripping her skin open or biting her skin open or whatever, which is, you know, it's not, you know, comfortable to think about all that kind of stuff, you know, looking back on it, because it was really kind of looking back on it, it's kind of traumatizing when you look back on it and you kind of see yeah. like, you know, all of this um, pain in one person kind of being reflected out and kind of seeing, you know, you really want to get them to stop and get them to see like, okay, everything's going to be okay or whatever, it's, it's not going to be in whatever. And that's kind of the private side, because I think, you know, people with good parents, like your parents, like my parents, we can kind of at least manage that down so when they're in front of other people and when they're not in that family shell they can kind of assimilate better but even when i would say going out to other other people i would say in the um you know going out to a restaurant for example that was the easiest one to pick on so um all people with disabilities especially autistic people they have uh they have their tics and so one of my uh, my sister's biggest kind of thing that sets her off is crying babies and crying children Luke is the same way. Luke was the same way as a kid. Yep, absolutely. Um, Not to the level where he would freak out himself. It would just make him very uncomfortable. It would make him very upset. Yes, because he didn't understand why the baby was crying. And I'm going to assume Jackie was the same way. Yeah, so that was the big thing. And it's it's interesting. So I don't know if you've, um, I don't know if you took, you probably did take a bunch of psychology classes, but, you know, so uh, Pavlov, the the philosopher, the, uh, the, the, uh, sociologist or whatever he was so mm-hmm. he ran the experiments with a tuning fork and a bunch of dogs and so we yes. would bring this tuning fork 
And when, you know, the dogs would come and they would go and he would kind of test it, they would salivate because he would hand them meat after they hit the tuning fork. And even when, you know, he did this for a while and he conditioned them to it, he invented the science of conditioning. And so after a while, when he would bring the tuning fork and he didn't have meat to give them, they would still salivate. Right. So basically what would happen and what still does happen to a degree, even though it's, it's much less so than it was, was that every time, you know, we would go out to like a Chili's or something because we would just kind of go and we would try to be like in and out an hour or less, like kind of get everybody out of there, get everyone to eat, you know, take, get my mom and dad a load off from, you know, making, making food or dinner or whatever, and then get out. Right. And so we would go. And so a baby would start crying inevitably as they do in all restaurants and enclosed spaces and everything. And so uh, Jackie hates when babies cry. She does not hate the child. She does not hate the, yep. the infant or whatever. She mm-hmm. just doesn't like the fact that when, you know, she just, she screams, she used to, again, she used to self-harm, she used to do all this other stuff. And, you know, you see that, you know, there's this kind of stereotype, I think, that I've heard a lot, especially with all the issues in society going around, around, you know, primarily Black people, where they can feel where they go into, like, you know, let's just say a, a nice, like, ritzy, like, mostly white neighborhood, and they go into a restaurant, and people look at them differently because they're Black, or because they're something else, or because they're a woman, or because they're a white person, or because of whatever. And so I always kind of felt that whenever that happened, like, they would, people, like, you know, you, you felt all the eyeballs kind of go to you. And you would get really embarrassed and insecure and they'd just be like, you know, you'd kind of see like the, you know, the person who just didn't know any better in the corner go like, oh, there's the pin with the special kid again in the corner, kind of, you know, ruining mm-hmm. our dinner or whatever. And mm-hmm. you feel bad and you kind of be like, you know, God, this like kind of sucks or whatever, because we can't even go out and really have a nice time, even though everyone wants to, including my sister and, and your brother potentially and a lot of other kids that are in this type of situation. But it just, um, you know, we, we just really couldn't do that a lot of the time. You know, it was just a, mm-hmm. it was a bizarre thing. It really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to speak to your sister's point, um, she was actually in one of my classes in high school. I believe it was, I was a sophomore. I was in choir. And when Jackie is a year younger yeah. than context. So she was a freshman. I remember, um, and Mrs. Barnum was um, her aide in the class. Um, for those who don't know her, sweet Wonderful like, lady. Wonderful lady. Yeah, literally like the nicest person ever. She, the way that her that the two that um, Mrs. Barnum and your sisters like, like tight like this. Yeah. Did such a good job of helping Jackie when she had those moments in class, knowing like when she needed a break. um, So she wasn't, you know, screaming, you know, at the top of her lungs in the middle of a class. Um, Not that she's being not lasting. I want to go after that. She's being a burden to. um, No, no. Yeah, no, it's just absolutely. Yeah. Because um, for those of you who don't know, um, children with special needs, you know, they're like core classes, math, science, English, you know, they take them with an intermission specialist and then they, your um, electives like choir, art, that sort of thing, art, you know, their classes also with students who are quote unquote normal. So yeah, they're, they're fully integrated in that sense. Yes. And yeah. that's a hundred percent how it should be because in the, you know, in the real world, you, that's, you get everybody and anybody in public. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, you're, she, so the two of them just had a really good relationship. And I remember how um, good Mrs. Barnum was in realizing like, like, all right, like I can tell like what's going to set off Jackie. Cause you just, sometimes you just don't know. You, you, you frankly don't know. Cause you don't, I don't know what goes through my brother's head 24 seven. You don't know what you go through your sister's head 24 seven. So yeah. Um, would that be in a specific instance, um, you know, while we were growing up and just, um, you know, having kind of like, having a sympathetic thought to it when she would have like those moments and stuff. Cause obviously, you know, that self-harm and like that, you know, emotion, I call it, I guess an emotional 
distressed situation. Sure. You don't want to happen to anybody. It's not her fault yeah. that she that's the way she, she's that's just the way she's wired. So yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, throughout all of, you know, those trials and tribulations, and we'll get to kind of, you know, how, like coping mechanisms, I would say in a second, because I both had constructive and destructive ways to kind of do all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure a lot of people will do as well. But I mean, I think, you know, that was something that always really made it better for me was that, you know, even though I was having, I was, I remember, you know, we, um, there was a really uh, interesting situation where we were down in, um, in Columbus when I was in college. And so we went to uh, Cameron Mitchell is a very famous restaurant tour down there. Mm -hmm. We went to uh, Mitchell Steakhouse downtown in Columbus. And so it was me, my parents, my sister. And um, I think my brother might've been there, but I, I wasn't sure. But anyways, so we're at this restaurant. And so it's like eight o'clock on a Saturday night. So we're like, cool, Steakhouse, eight o'clock Saturday night. There's going to be basically all adults there. There's really going to be nothing. That's kind of everything else. <laughs> so we, of course, we were foolhardy and mistaken. We walk right in. And then there's uh, two parents that didn't pay for a babysitter that were like, you know, every, like, I'm just going to, you know, take my kids to this really nice restaurant. And they're, of course, flipping shit because no, you know, four and two-year-old kid want to be at a steakhouse at eight o'clock at night. They want to be doing normal kid things, not hanging out with their parents at a steakhouse on Saturday. Right. So, um, you know, we're kind of trapped and we're at a nice place. So it's like we paid for this food. We're going to eat the food, everything like that. And so I remember um, our waiter, I, I'll never forget his name. His name is Mikel. And so his, uh, he was just so, he was so great. And he was like, I'll get you guys a private room in the back. I'll kind of get you, you know, we'll, we'll do all this other stuff. We'll account for you guys. So really that, and I remember I emailed um, Cameron Mitchell after everything else. I got his email address and I emailed him after I'm like, dude, your, your staff was phenomenal. Like excellent. You know, I, I was having a shitty night. I almost burst into tears at my table. Like I was like, I wanted it to be because I wanted it to be really nice. Like, I mean, my parents and my family were going to come down and one day have a nice evening, all this other stuff. And I felt like I fucked it up and I felt like I ruined it. So I wanted to make sure that everything was kind of OK and everything like that. And so he wrote me back and everything. And so I think, you know, to your point, that role of just, you know, that unbridled sense of compassion and sympathy that a lot of people can show, it really does it makes a, a world of difference. And I think like, even you don't even have to be a, um, like a special needs family member or special needs person to understand that no matter what the situation is, if a person just shows you like just kindness and compassion, it really, really does make just a, the biggest world of difference you can even imagine, I think. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Sometimes in certain situations, you just have to take a step back and just analyze the situation. I, and that's, um, you know, you can look at it through the lens of, you know, you know, a, like a party, like at a restaurant who has someone with a disability, you can look at it, you know, at a homeless person on the street, you can look at it at someone having a panic attack, all three different situations. But if you show compassionate kindness and a sense of understanding of the situation, it's going to result a lot better than how it started for either one of those. Because at the end of the day, all humans want to feel is that they matter. That's all that that's yep. Want to have a sense of belonging and to show that acceptance, that understanding, that compassion, that love, that acknowledgement of that solidarity. Like, hey, we're all in this together. You know, life sucks sometimes, and especially over the last two years, it's really fucking sucked. Especially for folks in marginalized communities, like yeah. the communities that that my brother and your sister belong to, because a lot mm -hmm. of sources were pause taken away for them. My brother. Yes went before um, the shutdowns happened, he was attending um, vocational school and he was a few months away from graduating. He loved it. He took such pride in what he did and it mm -hmm. just got snatched away. away. It, it, it hurt him. It crushed him because he yeah. liked 
what he's doing. He liked his friends. He liked the teachers there. You know, he was all excited about this big graduation they were going to have at the Lorraine Palace Theater, and it didn't happen. And I think it took him a while to recover from it because, mm-hmm. you know, he had that, like, group identity and that sense of belonging. And I think he's finally, you know, because now with having more social events and that, you know, grad parties, family events, mm-hmm. take guardians games and that stuff he's starting to like get back to that normal like positive funny lo- fun loving loop but for a little bit he was a little like sulky i guess is the word and i yeah. can't i can't blame him one bit mm-hmm. yeah it was i remember because i don't know your brother I'm, I'm sure is like this because i think it's hard to kind of trace a single like line of thread through all people that have the same disability but i think right. if, if, if i were to name one thing and I, i'd be actually curious to get your opinion on this is kind of just you know people with autism, they love routines. They love their routines. They love kind of going through every, like my, my sister knows exactly when everything's going to happen, everything else. And so to your point, when, when, uh, when Rona hit back in, it, God, that was a long time ago, like March of 2020, it seems so mm-hmm. long. It's really not that long ago, but it seems so long ago. Right. I remember like, you know, my sister was, she was in a work program. She was going to, you know, doing all these other things. She was doing like camps on the weekends, everything like that. And all of that stopped. And she really doesn't have, you know, people need to, do stuff all people need to do stuff but especially you know the folks we're talking about they need to do stuff they need to kind of go around and make sure that they have that sense of community that sense of like you know okay i'm providing value to somebody either through like a service like your brother was doing working going into vocational school or my sister working a job and was it the most glamorous job in the world like no she works at greenhouses and she takes care of horses and she does like all these other things and does all you know it's it's not really you know, it's not working in like, you know, venture capital, venture capital or like an investment bank. But I mean, it's like something you know that needs to be done and something that she takes great pride in. And so when that was taken away to like your brother's point, it really, really disrupted her life. Like, I mean, it really, really did because, you know, you and I can have the cognitive ability and the, honestly, the physical ability to pivot from that. And we can say like, okay, like we can do something else. Like, I mean, I started, um, I started my blog in Corona and I really kind of took off and I started writing my book in the middle of the pandemic and everything. And I, I moved and I got a job and everything else like that, but they, they weren't so lucky. And a lot of people weren't lucky in that sense. So it really, really does matter that they do have that sense of really, I, I have a role to play in some form or fashion in whatever that thing may be, no matter what it is. And I think it's something we all strive for, but I think it's really, really important for people who don't have that many options. Yeah, especially that makes me think of the point of what you uh, wrote in your book about what your dad said. Someone's got to flip the burgers. That's right. Like that's how I took it. Everyone has a sense of belonging. So, yeah, it's unfortunately, you know, granted from everything that happened, we can't we can't move back. We have to move forward. And and I I do think about those folks who were affected um, from all those programs being shut down. And you know, it's not not just like you know communities of like folks with disabilities. I can think of like you know you know, like treatment programs, folks who are trying to yeah. get addiction, they got, you know, they, they got the shaft. Right. They got the shaft. And unfortunately we've seen an increase in um, drug overdoses and drug addiction and that sort of thing. And it's right. It's crippling people's lives. It's the epidemic that hasn't stopped and frankly won't stop until we figure out the root cause of it. And yeah. That, and give that sense of compassion of like, okay, like, you know, you need help. Like what's going on that makes you want to resort to this? Like, Mm -hmm. we're like, right. We're here to help you. We want to like, we, everyone has a story. Everyone has a purpose. Let's get, let's get to that point and we'll work from there. Yeah. And I think it, it, and you know, you, you talk about, that's actually such a good point because I remember 
this is so crazy to me looking back. Like, I mean, people couldn't get elective surgeries back in the early days. Of right. It was like, people couldn't do that. Like, I mean, I, I think of people who are living in really kind of densely packed, you know, urban areas who are poor and really can't go anywhere. And they're kind of getting their water shut off and everything. Like it was, it was insane what was going on. Right. And so it turns into like this thing where, you know, we were, we're talking about, you know, I want to kind of pivot to like what, you know, coping mechanisms with all this stuff when, you know, shit really got kind of rough between when you were in a, either in a fight with your, with, with your brother, or I was in a fight with my sister or something, or when I felt really, really stressed, I had, you know, I was, I had a tremendous sense of anxiety of like overwhelming responsibility. And so I had coping mechanisms that were both kind of really good and really bad. Like, I mean, I, I was lucky enough where I, I played sports. I did a lot of things after school. I kind of, you know, kept myself busy in that sense so I could escape for a little bit. But, you know, when I would go home and I had to, my dad traveled a lot for work. So we had to kind of go out and bounce around and do stuff. So I had to really kind of step up and do everything else. And I, you know, I was very heavily um, addicted to the internet pornography. I would go and, you know, really, I would just go really deep into that stuff all the time and really just kind of do a lot of, I would stay in my room all the time. I'd socially isolate. I'd kind of just get get away from people, everything else. So it's, it's interesting, like kind of what makes you go to veer one thing versus another thing. And I think it's kind of something that, you know, we know a lot of people who do this and obviously like I'm more, I put it in my book. Like, I mean, it's, it's in there, you know, so I guess everyone knows about it now, but um, you know, there were a lot of things that kind of people, we all cope with things in different ways. They're constructive and destructive. So did you have like something that really kind of gave you solace when you were having a really tough time in your own head, getting through something either with your family or with your brother or kind of when any really troubling thing happened, like, how did you, how did you deal with that? And, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but kind of anything, how did you really kind of cope with all that kind of stuff? Cause it, it is very hard. It's yeah, it is really hard. Just, especially with growing up and adolescence and all the hormones going through you and you're just trying to, you're just trying to find yourself. Um, especially like in middle school, like I can say this now, but like I hated middle school with a burning passion. Like I used to like, I used to like school. I really did. I liked all my teachers. My teachers liked me. I had my friends. Obviously, I still had my friends going into middle school and high school, but like, I just, the whole, I think the whole thing about like, I know our middle school was seventh and eighth grade. I think the whole two years of just like everyone trying to like find themselves. And I think me not being comfortable in my own shoes, because it's like, I think of like this, you know, we're both we're both big people. I'm six, four. Are, are you like six, three? You're, you're t- dude, you're fucking taller than me. Yeah. You're, you're like, I'm six, two, but I mean, you're, okay. I, I thought you were like six, five. I mean, I think you're tall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're really tall. Yeah. So I think being a 13, 14 year old boy and not being comfortable, you know, being 13 and having a size 14 shoe. Um, luckily my feet haven't grown. And thank God, because it's yeah. so hard to shoes in the first place. For back feet after a while. But I think like being big, from a height sense and not having that confidence associated with it, I think um, had me just like, think like, Oh, like, who am I? Like, I'm just, just, I'm just this somebody like, I'm just, you know, this like awkward looking, you know, six foot, yep. 150 pound, like man child, like, mm-hmm. like an ounce of fat on me. Like my arms look like, you know, the, like a, like a baby Oak tree. Like there's, yeah. Yeah. And it was just like not being comfortable in my own skin while like I knew I should have been. Um, I think I psyched myself out in certain um, in certain instances. And then I think just like the transition from like elementary school education to like the middle school education, I think I struggled with like 
it's not it wasn't like the academic part itself i think it was like the approach of the teachers that i didn't um understand certain instances um not saying like not trying to like bash teachers all day work that i couldn't do on a daily basis and they get all the credit that is that you know they should get all the credit that they deserve especially um you know those in the um special education intervention field too with all that you know that's that's a that takes a special kind of person with a a tough job man it really is and i think i struggled with um sorry that was my brother um (laughs) um but i think i struggled with i guess just the transition of just growing up i don't think because i didn't have like an older brother to look up to in Mm -hmm. my position with luke us again not being on that same level quote unquote yeah someone like related to that i could talk to oh interesting and i you know you don't want to tell your mom and dad about like everything that goes on in your life. Oh, like, fuck no, not in middle school. Hell no, you didn't know. No, because you want, right. They don't, no, they don't, you know, they haven't been in middle school in 30 years. They don't know what it's like. So mm-hmm. I think just trying to, and then sometimes just putting on a face and just to, 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 like trying to like be someone that you're not, I think um, added alongside the stress of it. It's like, all right, like what kind of image do I put on? I don't want to look like, Oh, I'm just a kid who has a disabled brother. Cause what if people think I'm disabled? Like that, yeah. I had that thought in my head for such a long time. Really? I think it's such, Oh, of course. Because when people found out Luke and I were, or when people knew that Luke and I were twins or like him being a grade below me, like, I think I psyched myself out of like, just thinking of like in my head, like, Oh, like do people, you know, people, you know, Luke has, you know, autism. Do people think I'm stupid? Do they think like my family's like stupid or inbred or something like that? You know, like just like all that crazy shit that just runs through the 13 year old mind. Yeah, Um, yeah. It took me a long time to really gain confidence in myself. It's like, you know, I'm me. Luke is Luke. We're twins, but I'm my own person. Luke's his own person. We create our own past. Um, but yeah, I, I've actually never shared that before with anybody um, because yeah. I never, I, once I got to high school, it got a lot better because a lot of, you know, kids mature. I think our high school was really good, especially a lot of the individuals that went there are very um, compassionate to the cause of children um, who have disabilities, just thinking mm-hmm. of we went to school with. And just the time itself, it's a lot more open. It's a lot more talked about people, a sure. lot more understanding, you know, understanding like, oh, like he's, you know, you don't call this like, you know, don't call him like special or retard or any, you know, slow or anything like that. Right. There's like, other, yeah, uh-huh. right. It's not their fault. Don't insult them. There's certain things that they do are odd. Sure. But that's out of their control. Um, but yeah, I think it's just the stress, the maintaining of it. I didn't know for a long time how to, how, honestly, how to, um, how to deal with it. So I carried a lot of stress going um, during my adolescent years. And I think, it was, I think it was a good thing mm-hmm. at the, end of the day because it really now as a 23 year old man, looking back on that perspective, look now knowing if like I ever, you know, meet someone in a similar situation as mine, or if I have a child at some point in the future and they are going through that same stress, I can at least relate to it in some way, shape or form. Now, granted, my situation is very different from other people. Yeah. But, right. Um, I think that now having that learning experience, being comfortable with who I am, knowing my personality, knowing what I like, what I don't like, um, I think is, you know, continued for me to um, improve on myself every day. And it's never done. You, you try, you know, you, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You got to keep improving every day. 
I know I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. There's, I have flaws. Of course I do, but it's just, you got to take it day by day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that, man. That's, I mean, it's, it it can get really dark a lot of the time when you, you really do think you're alone with your thoughts and then your thoughts can kind of be like a lot to handle at one time. So it can be, it it can be really, really stressful in that kind of a regard. But I mean, it's, that's kind of the, honestly, I think the best way to do it is, you know, one sense, you know, you have a aptitude to pay it forward to somebody else. Like you see someone else really, struggling with something, either if that's a younger person, or if you go to, I, I'm going to use special Olympics example, like so many more times, but if you go to the special Olympics and you're volunteering and let's say you're a junior or senior in high school and you go and you see someone in like the fifth grade who is running around with their sibling, their brother, their sister, and you can, you know, they're kind of maybe throwing a fit. They don't want to be there. Like it's hot outside, everything, everything else, like a whole lot of shit. And so you see that person and you see them really kind of struggling and you just kind of go over and just say, Hey, you know, like what's going on? Like, how's your day going? All that other kind of stuff. And you get to see that you take a lot of the pain away from other people by just paying it forward in the sense like, okay, I've been there before I've been and done all of these things where I can see all of these people have the similar struggles that I have and really just kind of make sure that they're not feeling like as shitty as you did probably in that moment in a lot of ways. So it's like kind of yeah. like, okay, I can, I can't, you know, take back what I felt in a certain moment, but I can really kind of pivot that into what this person is feeling at this time, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. To really go off of that point. Um, I always tried and granted like these thoughts that I had as a kid, like I never thought of like harming myself or like trying to kill myself or anything like that. I always knew, yeah. that, you know, life just goes on and stuff gets better. And um, I never had like any of those thoughts cross my mind. So I think that's why right. maybe my mechanisms of how to deal with it. I just wasn't sure how, and I just, I guess I just figured out different outlets from it, whether if it was just like playing video games or just like honestly listening to music or sleeping or, playing basketball outside, you know, playing with my dog, you know, dogs are, seems like that they're pretty good, you know, how to yeah. folks relieve stress and they're better for your mental health. And I can say that Cooper was a, he was a good boy. So he was a yeah, good boy. Yeah. He threw some, yeah. Um, it's just, uh, you know, if you ever just need to like relax and chill with someone on the couch, Cooper was always there to um, chill with you. So for sure, man. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah, there's a, right. There's, there's more to there's always, there's always more to it. Yeah. And when we just going off of that really point of convergence where we talked about kind of you seeing, you know, other people going through similar things. So we all have that kind of red pill moment where we realize that we have a connection to really want like this is a community of people. We're not just kind of isolated pockets of people that kind of just have their own thing that they go about their own lives. We all do. Obviously, we all do have those things. But after a while, you realize like, you know, it's almost like a sixth sense in a certain type of way where, you know, you see somebody and you autumn, you see someone, you know, you walk and they walk into a, a store or whatever, and you can tell that, you know, their sibling is either handicapped, they're, you know, they have disabilities or something like that. And you kind of make eye contact with a person and you're like, okay, like, I like, what's up, man? Like, I've, I've been there before. That sucks, you know, whatever. And it, it's kind of cool because like when it is in a positive environment, like Special Olympics, or you, we, you and I both did friendship group in high school, which is kind of an integrated social club after school, all those other kind of things. Did you have a moment for you where that, where you realized that like, you know, it was an all in this together type of mentality. And when did that, 
I would say same moment happened with people not in our community. And what was that moment like for you? Like, when did you, they kind of, you see like that moment for yourself and that moment maybe for somebody like Officer Nick or somebody like that, where they realized that this is a whole big thing of people kind of meshing together. Do you remember that at all? Um, I can think of like several instances. Mm -hmm. I can think of being a young, God, I don't know, maybe somewhere between eight, nine and 10. And we were probably at a, I think it was an Autism Speaks walk back. Um, uh, yeah. When you do that, and obviously, you know, your mom was a big, um, you know, big into proponent and running that and that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I can remember going as a young age, probably be somewhere between eight, nine, 10 years old and doing that, um, doing that walk and having that sense of kind of just, I guess, relief of knowing, like, even though I don't like know these people, we had, we share a commonality of, you know, being, I guess, for lack of a better term, in the community of folks with autism, in a, and even like into the, if you want to go like into a bigger circle, the family dynamic of that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know you, but like, I see you. Like, I know, I don't know exactly what you go through, but like, I know that you and I have had the same feelings on certain things. So yeah. that sense of community, again, you know, few instances, you know, being, I remember being a young boy and it was just, I remember like, I remember being with like my dad and my mom and that sort of thing. And like sitting there and that's like, I remember saying, I'm like, I didn't realize um, that there was these many people who, you know, either have autism or know someone with autism. And they told me, well, you know, Alex, like one out of like 250 kids. And that was the statistics at the time, you know, has autism. And I didn't know that because, you know, being in, a, uh, in our hometown and, you know, being a decently sized town and um, thinking about kids that we went to school with, in my grade and your grade, there wasn't that many kids that were like, there was obviously there was kids in like intervention, but they weren't special needs. In right. grade, there was a good substantial group of children who are considered special needs. I don't know if that was just the population shift of how the town worked, or that I call it the 2000 baby boom, because everyone had a kid in 2000. Yeah. Um, obviously, Luke doesn't fall into that category because yeah, he was close enough. So yeah, but um, I guess knowing that like there's more, not just like in the Cleveland area, but just not even in the United States, but in the world, it's a right, it's a big group of people in having that acknowledgement of like, all right, like I am part of something bigger. And it's it's a good thing. It's a sense of community. I know that, you know, we all are all, you know, advocating for the same cause, the same kind of you know, you know benefits and rights for, you know, folks with disabilities and, you know, access to certain things that, you know, they may have a struggle to do if, if they try to do it themselves. So that, I think mm -hmm. that's first realized. Um, I think that's when I first realized that. So yeah. it's, it's a cool feeling. And I think also distilling that down to what you said earlier about like the individual families and we, you and I, like you said, there was really not that many of them in our town, especially like our age. So it was kind of a pretty like we all knew each other pretty well, I would say by the time, you know, our, our siblings graduated and we kind of, you know, grew up and that's, we went to the same events, same circles, obviously. So we knew, we knew and we saw these people in a lot of different ways. Like we saw the good, the bad, a lot of the stuff that, you know, happened to them, all that other kind of stuff. We knew their details, their family pretty intimately. And obviously don't have a name names or anybody, but on the good or the bad side, but what do you think it is about families like yours and like mine that have done, I would say pretty well in terms of, you know, raising a special needs child and having them really go out into the world. And obviously there, we have to say first and foremost, I think that 
there, you know, I think, you know, my sister's form of autism is definitely not the most severe form of autism you can have. And I think you can probably right. say the same about Luke. So I mean, that is yes. certainly a factor in kind of what happens. But I've seen people, and my mom always gives the example of this one family that she saw walking into, um, walking into, I think like an apartment store, like JCPenney's or something back in like Great Northern Mall up, up in Cleveland. And they were like 90 years old, like an old couple like was like 90 years old. And so they were still kind of lugging their autistic child around them, basically on a leash with them, like all over the place. And you could tell that they're kind of miserable. Like, I mean, not being miserable because their kid is with them, but miserable because they really have no escape and they're not really that financially stable and they still have to take care of everything and all that other kind of stuff. And so in terms of just overall lifestyle and in terms of like where you see a lot of people fitting, what do you, do you think there are certain factors that some families inhibit within themselves that cause success for both themselves and their kids or their siblings and some not like, why do you think some people sink and some people swim? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good question. Because obviously, you acknowledging, right, my brother's form of autism and Jackie's form of autism are different. Now, granted, right, not the most severe kind of autism. Definitely not. Yeah. Autism doesn't even like, it's not even, it's not even a straight line. It goes like up, down, sideways. It's a pretty like ambiguous description of what autism is. And especially over the last 20 years, um, I think there's been a more, I'm not saying like, we're putting children more into the box of like, oh, they have this, that's autism. No, I think it's like, mm-hmm. of like getting a better understanding of like, okay, like these factors fit into what autism spectrum disorder is. It's not the math of like, oh, like why are all these kids autistic now? I think it's a better, I think it's just a better stance of prognosis. To yeah. And it's hard too, by the way. It's really oh, hard. It's so hard. I, I can't imagine what my parents went through when they were when my brother and I were young because um as I brought up earlier my mom and dad um started at the post office together on the same day April 26 1986. Oh cool. Yeah, so it's actually the um <laughs> it's actually the day the Chernobyl um nuclear power plant <laughs> met. Oh my god, really? Oh jeez. So the, I think they met because there was this one nut who said like, oh, those Russians deserve it or something like that. And my parents like were like, oh boy, that's so funny. Oh my <laughs> God. Not, not funny in the terms of like, no, nuclear, no, that yeah. whole type of thing. But yeah, it, it just yeah. kind of, so, yeah. 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 Um, Started dating a few years later, they got married in 93. And then my brother and I were born in 98, you know, both working at the post office, making decent money. Um, and then, you know, when my brother and I were probably 18 months to two years old, obviously being twins, you compared the two. I was developing at a normal pace. Luke wasn't. Luke's socialization wasn't at the place that mine was at. Um, so I think getting like, you know, getting, you know, getting those tests, seeing doctors and that sort of thing. Um, I don't, my parents have never been ones to um, bring pity upon themselves or have, ne- have never taught me to put pity on me. Like, mm. sucks, that's just part of it don't make people pity for you. Like, you know, you have the ability to make that change. You have the ability to, you know, improve oneself. You can't rely on somebody else to do that for you. Um, So when my parents got Luke's prognosis, it wasn't a sense of like, it wasn't like a victim or like a burden sense. It was frankly a sense of relief. Now, unfortunately, my mom did quit her job and that cut our family's income by 50%. Yeah. But I think she realized, she knew... And this is how strong my mom is, how like important it was to, 
you know, raise my brother to make sure that he has a good life and that he is set up for success, you know, currently you now that we're currently at the age I'm at and, you know, long into the future. Um, so I got to give that credit a lot to my parents and yeah. for my dad, luckily, you know, working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks, taking those sacrifices. Now my dad was, you know, he's not like a workaholic. I, that's the, I, he's, but he was right. He, he was a good dad. We, I've had plenty of good memories with him, but he did work. He still does work a lot. Yeah. Uh, during COVID, he was working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and um for six days straight. And yeah, it's you got to do what you got to do sometimes to um to make those sacrifices. So I think families with autism, whether they sink or swim, unfortunately, I think has a lot to do with economics. Um, yeah, sure. Statistic from. I think it was from Pew Research, but I, again, can't, I'm not 100% sure, and obviously I'm not a pollster, that like 80% of families that have a child with autism separate. I, wow, really? I, I knew that, that you know, the families unfortunately break up when that happens. I didn't realize it was four out of five. That so is crazy. Wow. The minority of having like that strong nuclear family dynamic of sticking together because mm. I parents obviously they never blamed it on one another they never like i've never seen them like just blow out scream at one another um i know they fight like a normal husband and wife do and yeah. Seen, yeah. i've never like seen my mom like storm out of the house or like i've never seen like my dad just like take the bottle of crown below the sink and start to pour himself a glass and just yeah. like mm-hmm. and like doing that um yeah. so I, yeah. I think it has to i think unfortunately it has a lot to do with economics and i think at the end of the day it just has a lot to do with the will of the parents. Um, so I'm internally grateful for how strong my parents have been. And, you know, may, may, I guess you could say they were set um, behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, my mom has had, you know, a lot of um, struggles in her life. You know, she grew up poor. My grandpa unfortunately died when she was five from lung cancer. So she grew oh, up wow. pretty co- poor and worked her, you know, worked hard, that sort of thing. And, you know, living in a nice community that we do, um, you know, she had, um, unfortunately was diagnosed with breast cancer about 15 years ago and she powered through that and survived that, Um, you know, raising a child with autism, you know, it, she's a strongest woman I know. And I'm a lot of people, and she doesn't brag about it. She just, my parents are just like, put your head down and get to work kind of people. Not, and yeah, that they're like cold or anything they're very like warm like i no, it's it's the real they love me every day so it's just yeah again yeah yeah, it's just i think it's just it's it's all subjective it's the real g's moving silence like lasagna that's right yeah (laughs) yeah no i i think it's i think that's important man i think the one thing that really stood out to me in that is because you said that your parents did not convey a sense of pity and victimhood onto either you or your brother but they also, to their credit, to their men's credit, I should say, did not take that sense among themselves. They, they just didn't, they walked the walk and they talked the talk at the same time. And right. they said like, okay, this is the situation. We're locking it down. We're going to be in this together. Like, I mean, there literally is no escape from this. This is going to be, there is no cure for autism. There's no vaccine. There's no shot. There's no pill, no nothing. So mm-hmm. this is just the way it's going to be. This is how it's probably going to be for the majority, if not all of our lives. And so we can either choose to stick together and love one another and be a family and kind of just accept that we're a little bit different from everyone else and keep going forward. Or, you know, that, that stat about the divorce rate, man, that is insane for people like that. And I think, I, I think that a lot of stuff that you said with 
the economic piece, a lot of the things I think with social issues like you know disabilities disabilities is a social issue for about people who really don't know a lot of the, a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. but it right. is it's a big it's a big, it's, a big it's a big it's a civil rights issue at the end yeah, of the day it, right yeah in a lot, lot of ways it is and i think that you know it's people don't really realize that you know a lot of social issues they are social in the sense where they're dealing with either uh, skin color or gender or any of this or special needs or any of this other kind of stuff but a lot of that underneath it is the economic piece. It's people that can't either get out of poverty or they got to work insane hours. They never see their kids, their families break up. There's a bunch of, you know, there's child support involved. There's a bunch of other things. That's just mm-hmm. insane about all these. It's, other that, it's that cycle. And if you can't get out of it, right. it's just, it's so hard. It just, it literally is just so hard to get out of it. I remember just learning about high school about like, you know, pov- the, it's called the poverty cycle. If you can't right, if it's like X, you know, if X equals Y and Z equals a like can't, you can't get out of it. And it just, you know, we, America is built on this premises of, and I still believe it's true that, you know, this is, you know, anything is possible, but if you're behind the eight ball in certain ways and you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps, cause you don't have any bootstraps to pull up or you don't have the hands to pull them up. You're it's kind really, of yeah. Dust. yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. And I mm-hmm. think that, that it's, it's interesting because especially in a time where everyone is literally so socially conscious about a lot of, you know, a Mm -hmm. lot, a lot of things and a lot of that has merit to it. But the one thing that it's, again, this is not, you know, you and I, we both share the same sense of like, we don't want to victimize ourselves at the same time. It's like, holy shit. Like, I mean, throw us a bone once in a while. Like our community, I think is so, you know, overlooked in the sense where it's like, you know, we are, you know, there's a lot of shit that's going wrong. Like our, our, you already talked about the divorce rate, but the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is in the 90, 90, I think 92% the last time I looked at it, the foster care system is horrible. The state care system is horrible. Just generalized, you know, all the the bullying problem is a bad thing. Government, lack of government support is a bad thing. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm seeing all of these things and maybe it's because, you know, you and I are actually in the shit with a lot of this stuff and we see like, okay, that's wrong. We should be paying more attention to this. And look, why are we paying attention to this? But why do you think that we get overlooked in the grand scheme or our families, I should say, not us per se, but our families and the people, especially like your brother and my sister get overlooked in terms of the societal issues that a lot of people are justly talking about now in a lot of ways. Why do you think that is? I think it gets overlooked from one of, I guess the main factor I think is because folks with disabilities and again, it, they're not a monolith. The disabled community is not a monolith. They're all yeah. different. Yep. They're, you know, they have certain capabilities. Some of them, you know, have different, you know, some, they can't do certain things. Yeah. I think just honest to God, I think it's just from an ad, like from an advocation standpoint, from a grassroots movement standpoint, you know, we look at marginalized groups, like, you know, the civil rights movement for African-Americans of the 1950s and sixties. And they even include native Americans too. We yep. look at the gay population and the amount of social progress they've made. The mm-hmm. fact Gay marriage was legalized in 2015. If you would have told someone that 10 years before, they'd have laughed right in your face. Um, yeah. so I think in those groups have been, you know, you know, the um Caesar um I think it was Caesar Chavez, the yeah, um, the, the, the union leader. The, He's actually yeah. I'm, I'm broadcasting from Austin, Texas. We have the main one of the main roads in Austin named after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. He 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 advocated for um, you know, for migrant workers and the, you know, the you know, Hispanic, um, you know, Hispanic, I guess, um, what is it called? Um, 
Hispanic. Like the population of Mexican immigrants that came here looking for work and for a better life and everything like that. There's a ton of them around here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because I, you know, with folks with disabilities, you don't see them often. You don't see them, you know, taking buses to Congress, marching on the steps of the, of, of the Capitol and, you know, confronting AOC or, you know, Mm. know, um, Dan Crenshaw or that sort of thing, because that takes a lot of, um, planning logistics and that they simply just don't have you know if there's folks in wheelchairs you know not every bus is paratransit accessible you know not not every gas station has you know a a handicapped restroom in the united states you know we do have the ada the americans with disabilities act but it, it it does a good thing it's a it's a good it's a good law that helps protect the basic rights of folks with disabilities but people don't realize it that there's so much more to it like the example that you bring up about the unemployment um number you know my brother currently does not have a job and if he were to get a job and as much as he wants to work he's not going to get paid a decent living now granted yeah yeah right folks with disabilities get a check from the government every month social security but that doesn't cover rent that doesn't cover like water or groceries and even if he were to make a job, he would have to report it to Social Security, and then they tax that so he can get the Social Security back to him. So yeah. in my head, I'm looking at it, and I don't care like what you know. You and I are pretty opposites in the political spectrum, but yeah, to me, yeah, right. <laughs> it it makes me think like, do they want Luke to live in poverty because it doesn't incentivize them to do well in these in the group they want to live meaningful lives they don't want to be a burden on anybody and i think a lot of people simply just don't know yeah it's it's frustrating it's it's it hurt it it gets me worked up when i talk about it because that's my brother i can tell yeah yeah like it's like there's so much to it um and the you know they have opinions they have like there are folks who Granted, who may not be, you know, verbal and they use, you know, let's example, like a computer or an iPad or a Dynavox or that sort of thing yeah. and articulate their thoughts. But it's just, it's, since it's such a wide spectrum, I think trying to like gather it into like one solidarity thought is hard. It's, then yeah. With that movement. I mean, I mean, there, there's, there's so much to that. And I think it's, you know, I think you hit on so many things and, you know, it, it just shows how I think deeply you thought of the issue and how intelligent you are in terms of conveying it, because it is almost like they want a particular group of people to be disenfranchised in a sense, right. because nothing has really been done about it. And they kind of, you know, you know, I, I think a lot of things, like I said, with, with foster care, with kind of the state ward problem, everything like that, it's like these people, mm-hmm. they're not going to the most ideal situations if something happens to their parents or if they run out of money or they have to, you know, do everything else there, they end up on the street. They kind of, they end up in, you know, government housing where it's not very good, or they kind of don't really give a shit about everything. And I think that kind of splintered narrative and everything is, it's not helping matters for, for, and it's, it's incentive, again, it's incentivizing people who have autistic children and autistic siblings to be victims. It's incentivized because they 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 look at what you just laid out, like all the arguments you just laid out very cogently in that last couple of things. Again, no matter what they think on various issues that aren't related to this at all, and they look at it and they say, like, you know, okay, how well how do we win here? 
Like, I mean, what is our, what is our way out? Like, 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 what do we do? And, and they don't know, I don't think how to answer that question, which is a very, very big problem. Yeah. And it gets difficult when they become adults because the amount of, um, you know, I guess benefits that they receive from the government is based on their parents' income. Now I can understand the argument, live at home. Sure. But if they're an adult and they're over the age of 18, granted, while the parents are doing them, I guess, you know, you know, our parents could have kicked us out when we were 18 and be like, you know, see ya. I don't understand sometimes why my parents' income affects the benefits that my, my brother receives. Sure. Yeah. And I think I, again, I guess I, I can get the argument that they live at home and like the parents are still the provider for them, but mm-hmm. it's, in my opinion, it's a different situation. And if mm-hmm. you them to you know grow and you know be a part of the community which so many of them want to be they need a little bit of a helping hand they need that social net access my brother afford health insurance there's no way in heck if he got a job and and all that you know he's not getting paid that much and then he has to go back to the government anyways to pay for a social security yeah right he has to go back to the same place anyway right exactly so it's just like it's that's that cycle that i was talking about it just doesn't you Mm -hmm. can't you can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because this problem is not going away. Like this issue is not no. going away. And to your, to mm-hmm. your point earlier, it's accelerating. It's accelerating oh. in, in a lot of fronts. And, you know, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And this is kind of where I want to take, you know, our last really big question is that, you know, so you talked about kind of I remember, you know, the, going to Autism Speaks walks downtown and we would in downtown Cleveland. And so. I remember when I was really young, it was like a, like one in 128 boys or something like that. Yes. It was like one in 110 a year later, and then one in like 92, like the next year. And then now I think it's one in, what is it? What did you say? Like 62 or 65 now? It's, uh, I, I was actually looking this up today. Yeah. Um, so this was from science, um, science dot or science.org and it says the number of u.s school children placed in special education programs due to autism more than tripled from 2000 and 2010 so a total of 420,000 students um wow fight of being on the autism spectrum so it, it's tripled since 2010 mm-hmm. yeah from it, 2000 to 2010 it, it, it tripled so i came oh, to went from 2010 to 2020 for looking at the 10 year wow. um, 10 year basis yeah that is insane. That is so, so like this is a big problem if we're already talking about like a population that was, you know, getting more known, but still less known, but it triples in a decade and it's not slowing down from what I can tell. And no. so what what do you think is underneath and causing this rise in people that are getting identified as as either cognitively or physically disabled? Do you think it's natural? Do you think there's something else? And I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. Like my answer to this is a lot of, you know, kind of things we're seeing with a lot of the LGBTQ population right now. And there's kind of two ways to look at it in, I think, a certain way. One is that for the longest time, to your point earlier, it was not socially acceptable to be gay, to be lesbian, to be transgender, yeah. to be everything Taboo. else. You would be mm-hmm. ostracized in two seconds if you said that a oh, yeah. hundred years ago. But now where I would say the vast majority, especially the vast majority of young people in America, the vast, vast majority are very, very tolerant and very, very accepting of lots of different people. And so a lot of people feel more comfortable to come out as gay or as trans or as whatever it is. 
And I think a similar situation, it, what I think is happening, and I, I'm far from a scientist, but is that most, a lot of people now are seeing like, it's for lack of a better term, it's okay to say that you have this thing that's going on inside of your head. And I think now more people are saying like, okay, my son is autistic. My brother is, is, has this kind of disability going on everything else. So I think it's a little bit of that, but I also think there's kind of something in the water a little bit going on with terms in terms of how much this is going up in a lot of ways to your point about the science.org article, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I think the reason why we're seeing this increase in, um, children being diagnosed um, with autism, I think is because there's a changing definition of what autism is. Now, when mm -hmm. our were diagnosed with it, it was more cookie cutter, like, um, you know, nonverbal, wouldn't look in the eye, like, you know, like head of yeah. behaviors and that sort of thing, you know, lack of um, occupational and motor skills and that sort of thing. I think now at the point that we're at, when, the medical community diagnoses a child with autism. And the fact that it's not even that there's more young adult, you know, adolescents, young adults, and even adults being diagnosed being on the spectrum because there's been more of, um, I guess an umbrella term and bringing in more, um, uh, I guess more signs or like even like other disabilities like ADHD, OCD, um, dyslexia and that sort of thing, which are yeah. all underlying conditions that people with autism have because it is a cognitive disability. Those kind of are, but those can be underlying of what like autism is because autism, again, you know, it's, it's, you know, the symbols, the puzzle piece, you know, trying to figure out like what causes it because there's so many different, you can't put up, you can't just like, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. You can't pinpoint it exactly because everyone's instance is different but they share that same, um, I don't want to call it an identity. They share that same cognitive, um, that cognitive range I, is the best way to describe it. Now, there are some folks who are pretty high in the spectrum, like um, like Temple Grandin. There's rumors that Thomas Jefferson may have had, if it wasn't autism, maybe Asperger's. You know, there's Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously, there's people that we went to school with that you could probably, obviously, I don't, want to put a preconceived note yeah, no yeah of course but that had asperger's or maybe some sort of form of high functioning autism when mm -hmm. back maybe 20 30 years ago they were just weird or like they just were like slow or they just had like some sort of intellectual disability because intellectual disabilities those numbers have been going down but the prognosis of autism is kind of created an x like on the on the graph kind of like compensating for that fall yeah um, Again, that was on that science that um, that science org um, article, which I thought was interesting. So I think it's just honestly, it's the becoming the more ambiguous definition of what autism actually is. Instead, yeah. just can, that continued research of like, okay, what is this and how is it caused? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a very very cogent answer. I think it's it's very interesting to see. Like, it's funny how words can mean so much and so little all at the same time. Like, I mean, it's kind of just like they say one thing, but then it's kind of like it can change. And then you have to go like, okay, wait a second. Like this word, like I, I care a lot. I, I wrote a book. I care a lot about words. So, I mean, like when yes. you change the definition of a word and you kind of say like, this is now another thing. You're like, well, hold on, wait a second. Like, I mean, this really has vast implications for this. And it's definitely going to be something where 
people that really do care about this issue are going, we're going to have to hammer out a definition of what this is in the future, because it's, we're going to have to either one, trim back the amount of people that were saying you have this thing when you really might not have this thing, or if they are, excuse me, correct in their assertions, we're going to have to accommodate all these people. We're going to have to help. Right. Them. And so it's going to be one of two ways. We have to do one of two things. And if we don't, then it's going to end up being very, very bad. I think for a lot of people, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, Absolutely. yeah. And on that note, so the last thing we're in, and that was kind of depressing. We're in a more positive note. Actually. So, that was, um, so you've been obviously around this issue for a long time. I've been around this issue for a long time there. I'm going to send this to a bunch of people. I mean, I hope a lot of people listen to this one, I think, because I do think to both you and my point, there are a lot of people that are really, really kind of struggling with this kind of issue right now, whether they're a, they're a sibling like us, they're a parent or they're a grandparent or they're somebody else, whatever cousin, who knows. But if you were to give kind of one way, what do you think is the best way to help someone with special needs? If you were to tell that person, what advice would you give to a struggling sibling or parent with how to help themselves and with how to help that person that they care for? What would that be? Um, first and foremost, be kind. That's just the, that's the first step. You have to have compassion for the situation that you're going through, recognize while yes, the situation that you're going through is really hard. And sure, people may not understand what you're going through, but your next door neighbor may be going through something that you don't understand. Maybe they have, uh, you know, a family member with, you know, stage four cancer or something like that. Maybe they just, you know, lost the love of their life in a car crash. Maybe, you know, they lost their job that they loved to, Put pity upon yourself. I just don't think is a recipe for success. It doesn't now, solve the thing. Yeah, I don't. Now, now I'm not saying you're you're not allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to be sad. That's a completely human emotion. We all yeah. go through our ups and downs. Yeah. That's part of life. But to have it stop you in the tracks of what you're doing in order to better yourself, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. Talk about it with you know someone you trust, if it's, you know, a teacher, you're another family member, the, you know, the, I don't know, the server at, at, you know, the bartender at two bucks. I don't like, you know, there's, there are, are you know, everyone has someone that they're comfortable with and to find that person, to find that, that niche that you have, that, you know, even if they're not, not going through what you're going through, having someone who at least can take that in a retrospect take it back a little bit and understand where you're coming from will help out a lot. And to go back to the original point of kindness, kindness, compassion, understanding, tolerance, acceptance, love, those qualities are so important to, um, to helping a person with special needs, because back to the original point of our conversation, while they're part of their own group, they want to be bare, excuse me, they want to be part of something bigger, just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And and they don't want to like, they can tell, and they is a, you know, that's subjective. Individuals with special needs can tell if you're being fake to them. My scoped from a mile away. And I know your sister can too. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. be real with them, have a normal conversation with them, joke with them, a lot of them have a pretty good sense of humor. Um, so, um, you know, find out what they enjoy. Figure that one out. 
if they have one topic that they only know about, to, you know, that they can talk about, so be it. Let it rip. Because that having them or giving them that ability to share that about themselves and building that connection with you, it's priceless. And you that's just step one of it. Because you don't write. Um, you know, it establishes a firm line of like, okay. And then building up that step, figuring out, okay, like you like this, do you like this? Do you, you know, you are you Marvel or DC? Do you like basketball or football more? Um, you know, go-to pizza topping. Like there's like, there's easy icebreakers that you can figure out with folks. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they all have hobbies. They, you know, granted, you know, some of them have, you know, kind of like that, that obsession that, you know, that they have, um, which a lot of autistic people do. Um, but you can figure it out. And just taking a short period of time out of your day. And this is for folks who don't have families with disabilities. This is just to the general public, I guess. And just, again, simply just taking a step back, realizing the situation, just being kind is going to be the best recipe for success for family members. You know, you're all in it together. You know, don't bring pity upon yourself. Don't feel sad about it. The prognosis isn't a death sentence. It is a first step to help improve the life of that individual. And that's honest, as much as it like those like floater, like I call them red light words hit you. It's just, it's just step one. And there's plenty of resources out there, um, you know, through, you know, through schools, through hospitals, through other, yeah. you know, government programs and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, do your research, find a group of people that you niche with, you know, it for folks, you know, find, maybe find a group of, if you're um, a mother who has a, a child with autism, Try and find a group like that. Go to conferences. My mom went to conferences and to try to get a better understand of like how autism in young children works and that sort of thing. So yeah. it, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the right thing. And it's going to be all worthwhile because it's at the end of the day, it's a human. You love them. They love you. And we're all in this together on this, you know, on the short time we have together on what we call planet Earth. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful, man. That was awesome. I don't even want to say much more on top of that. So I think with, with that, I would say, I would echo that same point. Just, you know, I, I say all the time, just love them like crazy. Like, I mean, they're, they need it and you need it and you might not think that you do, but you do. And I think that's the perfect way to close out. So Alex, thanks so much for coming on today, man. This was a really, really beautiful conversation. It was great to see you. You're a very smart person, a very wise person, a very compassionate person. And I'm really, really glad I got to talk to you today. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam, uh, for having me on. I'm really glad we were um, able to have this conversation and, um, you know, share a little bit about our experiences and that sort of thing and advocate a little bit for, um, yeah, for folks in the special needs community. It's um, always, it, 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 you know, I feel like a better, it helps me, um, you know, build my, uh, my self-confidence and my self-worth every day to feel like, all right, I made a little bit of a difference today. So. No, um, dude, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think that, you know, it, it, it showed you, you showed out today, which is awesome. So, I mean, you're, you're definitely a very, very positive light in this world. And I think, you know, a lot of people can really learn a lot from you and everything. So I think a lot of people will become attracted to what you had to say today and really kind of learn something from what you and hopefully I had to say today. So with that guys, on the day, open your mind and I'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I make my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?